If you would please open up your copy of the Word of God back to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be studying together Luke chapter 12, verses 49 to 59. Let's read this portion of Scripture. Hear the Word of the Lord. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be, a ba- to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I I feel very strongly this morning, my need for your help, for your strength. I feel, Father, uh, distracted and rather out of sorts this morning. I know, Father, also my sin and how far short I fall from the glory of God. I need your grace for everything, from my salvation to my help in this moment to to preach Your Word. I need You for all, Lord. And I know the same is true for each one here. We need You for all, for everything. We need You for heaven, for the inheritance of the kingdom. And we need You for our very next breath. We need You for our very next rational thought and the motion of our bodies. We need You, Father, for understanding Your Word and for taking it to heart. We need You for faith. And we need You for obedience. There's not a thing that we can do apart from You. Apart from You, we are nothing. Without You, we can do nothing. But in You, Father, in Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we have all things. We have all that we need. You command us, You beckon us to come, and You welcome us into Your presence. You have great grace to lavish upon us You have sworn to us that Your mercies are new every morning. And great is Your faithfulness. We thank You, Father, for this very day. We have a perfect supply of Your grace. No more than we need, no less than we need. So we come now, in the name of Jesus, to claim that grace for ourselves. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All of the human race is divided 
on one single person. Jesus Christ. He is the watershed figure of history. All of the race divides on him. Either we are with him or we are against him. Either we are saved by his grace or we are lost and under his condemnation. The world scoffs at his coming, at the promise of his coming. It scoffs at the claim for what he accomplished in his first coming, in his life and death and resurrection on our behalf. And it also scoffs at the promise of another coming, that he is coming to judge the world and to save his own. There is only two places to be in relationship to him. We are either with him or against him. And you can't be on both sides. And it's the same with the promise of his coming. Either we are complacent about his coming, or his coming again is our greatest hope, and Jesus Christ himself is our greatest love. There are two sides to be on, and you can't be on both sides at once, and there are only two ways to live, and you can't live both ways at once. You are either complacent about his coming, or his coming is the great hope of your life. And Jesus is speaking very urgently to his own and to those in the crowd and to the world even today who are not yet his own. He is speaking urgently that we become reconciled to God and that we hope in his coming and put all of our faith in Jesus Christ. I am afraid that there are some within our own church who are spiritually asleep at the wheel. And you may know it, you might not know it, but what Jesus is doing in this passage is He is shaking us by the the shoulders of our hearts, our spiritual shoulders, and He is telling us to wake up and to not sleep on. He is saying, awake, let everyone awake, for I am coming again. And I'm bringing my recompense with me. The time is urgent because you do not know when I come. Again, the world is divided in two on Christ. Either we are under his judgment or we are saved. Either we are against him or we are for him. And again, I want to say it. As there are only two sides to be on, there are only two ways to live. And you cannot live them both. It is one or the other. Complacency about the coming of Jesus or he is our first and our greatest hope. Let's read verses 49 to 51 again. And and I want you to sense very strongly the urgency of Jesus. It's so easy for us to be lulled into sleep by you know the routine of life, the same old, same old, or our hearts just being drawn into the world. But Christ is so urgent about this time. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Did Jesus Christ not come to bring peace to this earth? Haven't Haven't we been taught that all our lives long, that he is the Prince of Peace? He is certainly the Prince of Peace. And the Bible promises in Isaiah chapter 9 that 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. But not everyone has peace with God through Jesus Christ. If we receive him by faith, we have peace. If we do not receive Christ, instead of peace, we receive his judgment. I want you to turn back in Luke, and I, because I want you to see a couple of passages of Scripture that anticipate this, this judgment and this division that Jesus speaks of. Would you look at Luke chapter 2, verses 34 to 35? Do you remember when the elderly Simeon met Joseph and Mary at the temple, when they came up, Jesus was about a week old at the, at the time, and they came up the, the temple steps to dedicate him to the Lord. And the elderly Simeon took up infant Jesus into his arms, and this is what he said in Luke 2, verse 34, to his mother Mary. He said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Look at what he said last again. Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That is, every person is exposed for who they really are by their relationship to Jesus. By their relationship to Christ. Either we belong to God, sinners, redeemed to rise, or we are at enmity with God, sinners, condemned to fall. But Jesus is the watershed. On Christ, the entire human race divides into two. Turn over to chapter 3. Look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. This is years down the road. Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry. This is taking place in context of his baptism. And John the Baptist is there. And this is what he prophesies in verses 16 and 17. He said, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Like Jesus says in chapter 12, and as Simeon had prophesied when Jesus was yet an infant, so John says, that all of the human race divides on Christ. See how he describes Christ with his winnowing fork, dividing the wheat which is saved from the chaff which is burned. The end of every human being is determined by our relationship to one single man who is the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other name. And there is judgment in no other. There is salvation in no other and there is judgment in no other. There is one judge over all of us who himself, though innocent, was judged for us. The one judge who is over all died to save all. 
On him the human race divides. So what John, what Simeon prophesied and what John very specifically prophesied, Jesus is now proclaiming to this crowd of thousands that has gathered before him. And he says he has come to cast fire on the earth. Do you realize in your heart how much you need Jesus Christ? Do you know for yourself, not just for the world in general or for others, whoever they may be, but do you know for yourself how desperately you need Jesus? This is for everybody. There is no one excluded. The whole world, all of the human race from the beginning to the end, falls under this word. And for you who are here today, this is for all of us, whether you are young or elderly, whether you're a child, whether you're young and fit or old and losing it, whether you're blue collar or white collar, it doesn't matter our race, the color of our skin, doesn't matter our economic class, rich or poor, black or white, great or small, we all need Christ the same. We're on equal footing before the cross, all equally fallen and equally condemned and equally in desperate need for this Savior, Jesus Christ. You need Him. Whoever you are, wherever you're at in this life, whatever your your moral record is, you need Christ. We all need Him desperately. No one is exempt. Jesus saves you or Jesus destroys you. He saves you or He will destroy you. All of the human race divides on Him. Now He says, He says that we may escape this fire. Doesn't ex- doesn't say it exactly, but we know how this unfolds. But he, he does, he is telling us how we may escape the coming fire of the judgment of God. He says that he has a baptism to be baptized with. And he says, how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Now, we read just a moment ago, back in chapter three, the context of his baptism in water. He was baptized in water by John the Baptist. So that is not the baptism that he is talking about. He is not talking about a literal Submersion in literal water. Rather, Jesus is speaking of being submersed under the judgment of God. He's talking about His death on the cross. There at the cross, He will go under. And He bears at the cross the guilt for sin, the judgment for sin for all who believe in Him. Even now as Jesus is speaking this word, His face is set on Jerusalem. We saw that back in chapter 9. He set His face on Jerusalem and He would not be turned away. It is His mission to go to that city and outside the gate, give Himself, lay down His life for the human race. And this is the way that all may be saved from the coming fire of the judgment of God. He took our place there at the cross. You know, in our day and age, and this has always been true, but especially in our day and age, it is, it is tempting for us to, to look at this prophecy of Christ kindling the fire of judgment and say, well, that's not very nice. You know, God is supposed to be a loving God and Jesus, you have a reputation really for being the most loving 
person that there is, but this is not very loving. At least it doesn't feel very loving. But I want to give to you five answers, whether you need them for your own heart to help you to think rightly about what Jesus is saying, or if it's to equip you to help somebody else who thinks it's not very nice of Jesus to judge. Number one, and I'm going to give you these five things quickly. Number one, this isn't your earth. It's His earth. He is the Creator. He is the definer. He is the standard. There is no meaning apart from Him. There is no goodness, beauty, or truth apart from Him. There's no life apart from Him. So He sets the rules and He sets the standard. It's His earth. So it's His right to do with it as He pleases. Number two, He must judge. This is who He is. And He cannot change. Number three, it is not good to let evil go unchecked. If Jesus lets evil go unchecked, then He Himself is not good. That would mean He has changed. It would mean that He is not God. Number four, if there is a fire coming of judgment, it is a loving and most loving thing to warn that this fire is coming and to speak of it in the the starkest terms. The Bible gets so vivid. It speaks of wrath and fury and distress and tribulation. It speaks of darkness. It speaks of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It speaks of the torment of the unbelievers rising up forever. It speaks of this coming judgment in the most vivid terms. That's loving. If there is a fire of judgment coming, it is a loving thing to say so. And to put it most vividly, if you want to beat around the bush, or brush it off, or keep it hidden from people, that's not the loving thing to do. That's not nice. This is kindness. That Jesus Christ would warn us. And number five thing that I would say to those who think it's not nice to to judge or to speak of this judgment, He is the judge of all. Again, who died for all? Who was judged for all mankind? That we do not have to be judged ourselves. So if we think that He is not kind or He is not loving, let us remind ourselves of the cross in which all mankind every tongue and tribe and person of every nation may be saved. Have you personally come to Jesus Christ to be saved? Have you had that personal encounter with God? That that personal, private encounter with God? Have you confessed to Him your sin against Him and your desperate need of His salvation? Have you told Him that He is your only hope and your only trust to be saved? Have you received God's Son, Jesus, as your Lord and as your Savior? And is your heart now turned from your sin from this world, from the idols of this world, is your heart 
turned to serve the living and the true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Have you been saved? Are you putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? Turn to Christ. Whoever you are, turn to Christ. I, I got to tell you something that you might not understand, but I've tried to stress this to our church family for a number of years. I pray the sinner's prayer all the time. Not because I think that I need to be saved and then I might lose my salvation and I need to be saved all over again like I was justified once, but now I need to be justified today. I've been so bad that now I'm outside the safety of the kingdom so I have to get back in. But I'm always confessing to God, I'm a sinner. And I have no hope apart from you. I am resting in what Christ has done to be saved. It's the sinner's prayer. I pray it all the time. Because my, my need of repentance never stops and my, my trust never stops. So this is not a one and done thing. Pray the sinner's prayer and you're good to go and then you never need to think about it again. We are entering into a life of repentance toward God and faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you been saved? You yourself, have you had that personal encounter with God and called out to Him to be saved through His Son, Jesus? It's not too late. Today is not too late. The fire is coming. It's coming. But today is the day of salvation. And if you will trust in Jesus Christ today, from the heart, you will be saved and you will be safe forever in the arms of His love. Look at what Jesus says next in verse 52. After he said that he has come in fact to bring division, he says, for from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Again, Jesus is the watershed figure. This is a term that I used a while back and I just want to remind our kids about what it means. When there is a, a river that, that comes to a piece of land, you know, that, that piece of land is, uh, rising up out of the water and the river there divides in two, they call that piece of land the watershed. There the waters divide in two. So when we speak of Jesus as being the watershed, what we mean is that all people, without exception, divide on Christ. We either are with Him or we are against Him, saved by Him or condemned by Him. He is the watershed figure. Now, Jesus speaks of division. He speaks of division in the the closest and most intimate relationships that we know, our own households and families. You can befriend those who don't believe. You can share your heart and so much deep affection with those who don't believe. You can share so much in common with them. But in the end, there is that divide. In the end, the world will not get you. They won't get you. If Jesus Christ has claim on your life, if He is Lord of your life, if He is the prime consideration in every decision you make, 
if He is the great passion of your life, if His coming is the great hope of your life, then in the end, the world won't understand that. They won't get that. They might be envious of your conviction. They might be, they might say, I wish that I had your faith. But in the end, for what you hope in and what you treasure, the world won't get you. And this is why, young people, it is key that you marry in the Lord, as the scriptures say. Why it is an absolute must and a commandment of God that you marry in the Lord. That is, you marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. Jesus is their passion and the greatest passion of their life. Because what will happen in your life if your spouse does not share your first love is either that you will go with the Lord or you will go with your spouse. You will go with the Lord or you will go with your spouse. You can't have it both ways. Because if you go with the Lord in all things, as you must go with the Lord in all things, if you have married someone who doesn't believe, you will go alone. Your spouse will not share your passions. Your, your spouse will not share your affections. Your spouse will not share your greatest hopes or your prayers, your aims in life. But if you go all in with your spouse, then what means is you will leave the Lord behind. You will grow complacent and you will grow cold. If you share all their passions and their hopes and their view of the world, you will leave Jesus out. And do you want your heart to grow complacent or cold toward Christ? Do you want your heart to be, you know, strange to the one that you've married? Then the answer is this. Marry in the Lord. Marry someone who believes in Jesus, worships Him alone, and loves Him more than they love you. And you do not wait for your wedding day or day after to find these things out. Because there's a path to marriage. There's a path. There's a lot that happens in your relationship before that day. So from the get-go, from the first day, is when you find out these are the most important things for you to observe and to question and to learn in a potential spouse's life. Do they believe in Christ, worship Him alone, and love Him more than anything or anyone else? There's a second application that I want to make about this division. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Let us not be deluded about the emotional state of the Christian life. You don't come to God for the sunny, cheery life. You don't. The end is a kingdom of light kingdom of joy, the kingdom of peace and of righteousness. But on the way to glory, there will be many dark days. There will be heartbreak and there will be tears. Because in the most intimate relationships that we have, there is going to be division. And these divisions and these separations will tear your heart out. 
They will threaten to crush your spirit and undo you. This is going to be true in your Christian life. And there's only one recourse in those moments of, of separation and when you are feeling, feeling all of that. And any of you who have been Christians for a long time, you know what this feels like. Whether it's a, a sibling or a parent or, or whatever, you know what this feels like. There's only one recourse then when you feel these separations most deeply, and that is straight into the arms of Christ. Straight into the arms of your Savior. And you stay faithful to Jesus, no matter what. According to His promise, in His time, He will wipe away all of our tears. He will. But let us stay faithful. Jesus said to the crowds in verse uh, 54, I think we're at now. And following, he said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And their weather in that geography is the same as ours. Our storms come out of the west. And so it happens, he says. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, he said. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? We need to understand the time in which we live. When we speak of knowing the day, as I'm going to be speaking of, in which we live, we're not talking about a 24-hour period of time. When we talk about the day of judgment, we're not talking about a 24-hour period of time. When we talk about the last days, We're not talking about a week or what have you of time. Jesus inaugurated the last days in His coming when the Spirit was poured out. This was the beginning of the last days. So we have been in the last days for for 2,000 years. Thank God! Thank God! Because His patience is our salvation. Jesus told us about the day in which we live when He commenced His ministry. This is going to Luke chapter 4. He commenced his ministry in Galilee and he went into the synagogue in Nazareth. It was the Sabbath day. And and he went up to the, the teaching place and the scroll of Isaiah was given to him. Do you remember this? And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it says in Isaiah 61, Jesus read to the crowd, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is the present day? What is this time in which we live? This is the day of salvation. It's the day of liberty, the day of good news, the day of recovery of sight. It is the year of the Lord's favor. Because salvation has been brought to us in Jesus Christ. The window, the door is wide open to be saved. It will not be open forever. But today, it is open. As the Lord declares through the Apostle Paul, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It is the day of salvation through God's Son, Jesus. Because He has borne in Himself our judgment at the cross 
we may be saved. Today is the day. We don't know how long today will be, will last. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for us. Let us not be fools. Let us not scoff at the promise of Christ coming. I know how it is. I I know exactly. I'm a sinner. Regular guy. My life is like yours. And you look back on your life and you think, every day is the same. Sun comes up. Sun goes down. Take the world for a spin on the axis and then we repeat. And your life and mine have gone off without a hitch so far. I, like I said last week, I don't think that tomorrow is going to be any different. But I do not know. I do know this. Judgment is coming. And it is ever closer. Everything that is temporal in this world and everything that is displeasing to Jesus will be destroyed. Don't scoff. Don't be complacent about the coming of Christ. 2,000 years ago, people were complacent and scoffing at the coming of Jesus. And so the Apostle Peter wrote a warning for them and he he wrote it for us. And I, I want to ask you to hear this word from the Lord. Remember, this is Second Peter 3. You can follow. I'm going to start. You can go there if you'd like and catch up because it's a good section. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm, I'll start in verse 2. Remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, that is, God's word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Everybody said there's no judgment coming. And judgment came upon all the world in water. But by the same word, Peter says, the same, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He was baptized in the waters of judgment that we may live. Today, therefore, is the day of our salvation. Salvation for all who will come to Him in repentance and faith. But one day, fire. So what must we do? Back to Luke chapter 12 and the last few verses of our text. What must we do? Jesus says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now this sounds really strange, doesn't it? Like, where did this come from? He is talking about eternal things and eternal consequences and all of a sudden he's talking about very temporal things and things that, I don't know, in comparison, don't seem very important. But he hasn't changed tracks. Actually, Jesus Christ is staying on track. And he is pressing home his word. If you will hear him. If you will hear him. He is pressing his word home into your heart. This is what Christ is saying. Whatever complacency you are tolerating in your life at this moment, Tolerate it no more. Whatever repentance you are putting off, put it off no more. Think about how you would act if you were being taken to court. If you had a chance to settle outside of court, you would do so. Because whether you win or lose, settling is probably better. Because it's going to cost. It's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in money. It's going to cost you in sanity to stay in court and to see that thing through. So if you can, before you, if you're the, if you're the debtor, if you're the one being prosecuted or, or charged or whatever the case is, it's better to, to settle outside of court if you can. Because if you don't, you hand it to the judge and the judge hands you to the officer and the officer to prison, and Jesus says, you're not getting out until you pay the last penny. So settle. He's saying today is the day of salvation. You understand this is a parable. It has deeper meaning here. And the deeper meaning is that you must settle with God outside of court, away from that final day and the bar of His judgment on the last day. Settle with God. Don't tolerate complacency in your life. Don't put off repentance from your life. Please do not procrastinate. Christ is so urgent because today is the day of salvation and tomorrow being the same is not guaranteed to any of us. He says, you won't be getting out of that prison until you have paid the last penny. Listen, listen. It is different in eternity. Sinners who are under the judgment of God can't even pay the first penny. For having rejected Jesus Christ with their life, no one can make satisfaction for that debt. Not even the beginning of it. I'll be 
honest with you that there are, are some for whom I am very concerned, who I believe are asleep at the wheel spiritually, and they may not even recognize it. All I can do is give you the promise of God's Word and beg you, do not put off repentance. Do not put off coming to Jesus. He will take everyone who comes to Him. He will receive and welcome all and He will never cast you out. And if that love cannot win you, if it does not win you today, when will it ever win you? And that's why you must not put off repentance because every day you put it off, your heart it just grows increasingly hard. So please, fly to Christ. Settle with Christ. Give yourself all to Jesus. For He has given Himself all to us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will, you will convict and you will break the hardest heart. I pray, Father, that you would give sight to the most blind eyes. I pray that you would give faith to all who are here. All. Father, you know that we have many amongst our loved ones, the, the dearest people in the, the world to us outside of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. How we love them, Lord. And many are, are far from You. And we, we pray, Father, for them also. That You would, by the riches of Your grace, lavish that grace on them and draw them to You too. I pray that they would not be lost. We have in mind our children. We have in mind our siblings, cousins, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles. In some case, it may be parents. Oh God, we come to You for them too. And we pray that before the fire is kindled upon the earth, that You would save for Your name, for Your glory, for the sake of Your mercy, for their eternal good. We pray that You would save. In Jesus' name, Amen.